three years is just too long, I got to tell you. It's just too long. But will you believe with me that over these next few minutes, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he did through worship, now through the word, will imprint something on your heart and your soul that literally could change the trajectory, not just of this week, of this month, but literally for the next year to come for you. Lord, you were here before we got here. You welcomed us into this place. So we open up our hearts and our minds. We thank you that you are a God who reveals and desires to reveal. It's our prayer, Lord God, that in these next few minutes through your word, you would let us have an encounter with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now you can sit down. Thank you. My entire message today just has one goal to it, just one simple goal. And that is you would leave here this morning with a prayer on your lips. And for some of you, it may be a brand new prayer you've never prayed before. For others, it may be a prayer that you haven't prayed in quite a while. And here's the prayer. God, I need a divine encounter with you. I need a divine encounter with you. The good news is, is that when that's your prayer, you can know this, you are fully lined up with God's will and his desire. Because the entire Bible is a story of a God who wants to have a divine encounter with us. You know the story, it starts in the Garden of Eden. There's this relationship between God and humanity, but sin breaks it. And from Genesis 3 on, there's this one story, this one passion that God has. How do I get close to my people? How do I get to know them? How can I be with them? And God gets this idea as to how he can do that. He decides he would start a nation and he would be with his nation. And there's a leader named Moses who's the leader over this nation. And God tells Moses, build a tent of meeting and build it on the outside of where the people live. And when they want to see me and I want to see them, have them come out to me. And Moses does that. And God is with his people. But God thinks to himself, it's not enough. I want to be closer. It's not enough that I'm just on the outside that they can come see me. I want to be right in the middle. So years later, he goes to David, the King David. And he says, I want you to build a temple. But don't build it on the outside. Build it right there in the middle, right in the middle of where everybody lives. And David's son Solomon builds a temple. And God dwells with his people because God wants to be close to you. He wants to have this encounter with you. But it's still not enough for God. How could I get closer how could I encounter you more intimately and closer? This is his driving passion. And he gets another idea, a crazy idea. I will come and I will join them. I'll take on flesh. And the Son of God became humanity because God wants to be near you. And you study Jesus through the gospel. And you know what he did all the time, village to village? He touched people. He held people. Didn't matter if they were lepers or women or children, because it was the passion of God to be close to his people. And yet God says, that's still not enough. I even want to be closer to them. I want this encounter with them. And God gets the craziest idea. And after he dies and resurrects, Jesus, the son of God, tells his followers, I need to leave. Because God has this idea that he wants to be in you. And the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us, reflective of how passionate God is 
around wanting to be with you. So when you have this prayer, God, I want a divine encounter. You are praying specifically and strictly in line with God's will and his desire. Now we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament that illustrates for us what does it mean to have this kind of a divine encounter with God. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And I got to tell you from the outset, it's a funky story. It's a little unusual as the story goes. But that's okay. When you have an encounter with God, it can be a little unusual. Isaiah is like a spokesperson in his society. He's kind of like the Shakespeare of his society. He's an orator. He's a prophet of God. He hangs out with the people who are in the upper echelons of society, the king and some of the rulers that are there. And the king at that time was a guy by the name of Uzziah. He followed God until the end of his rule. And then he kind of went off the rails. And then he died. And this just messed Isaiah up. What was normal for Isaiah, what was kind of the pattern of regular living, all of a sudden, everything is upside down. And Isaiah had this prayer. God, I need a divine encounter with you. When life sometimes doesn't make sense, when things seem upside down, when what is normal just isn't enough anymore, we get to that place where we say, God, I need a divine encounter. And this story is there to help us understand and illustrate exactly why and what this divine encounter is. So look with me as I read Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here's why we have this prayer. God, I need a divine encounter. Because you get to a place in life where your walk with God and wherever you're at, it's just not enough. It's no longer enough. Christianity basically has the familiar and then it has the surprise. And I'm grateful for the familiar. I'm grateful that every morning I can read my Bible and pray. I'm grateful that I can come to church on Sunday mornings and worship God. I'm grateful that I've got my small group who I know are praying for me. But there are times in love when what is familiar is just not enough. And I need something new. Something that is very different. And this is where Isaiah was. He goes, I'm glad for the familiar, but I need something new. So he comes into the temple, and all of a sudden we have a picture of this divine encounter, and it is characterized by power. The glory of God that is there. You can imagine the temple is shaking, there's smoke. Isaiah is completely out of control. I live in Southern California. We are known for earthquakes. And I remember the first time I ever was in an earthquake, I came from the Midwest of America where there are tornadoes, but in a tornado, a warning goes off three or four minutes before. So when the warning goes off, you go into the basement of your house, you're safe. There is no warning for earthquakes. 
I'm sitting in my living room and all of a sudden the entire house begins to rumble. It was like a train coming through and there was nowhere I could go. There was no place to hide. There was no place safe. I was completely out of control. This is how God wants you to feel when he has a divine encounter with you. It's like he's shaking Isaiah. Wake up. This is real. I am real and my power and my truth is real. And the beginning of a divine encounter, which can be a dangerous prayer, is a willingness to say, God, I need something new and I'm willing to relinquish all control. Shake me however you need to shake me because you do not have that control. He does it throughout the scriptures. He did it to Moses who tried to follow God on his own and failed and ends up in the desert And Moses' conclusion is this, I'm still going to follow God, but my past failure has defined me. This is my lot in life. And all of a sudden, there is a burning bush that will not be consumed, a divine encounter, and God is shaking Moses going, wake up. Your past does not define your future. And there are some of you here today, and God wants to shake you. And he wants to tell you the same thing. Your past, it does not define your future for what he has for you. He did it with Paul. Here's a man who is religiously devout, and he's on a horse, and he's going to a city, and the encounter is so great that it knocks him off his horse. It's like God is shaking Paul, going, wake up. Do not think that your works appeal to me. It is not about religion. It is about my personal relationship with you. And some of you... If you're willing to say the prayer, God, I want a divine encounter, he will shake you. And he'll say, wake up. I am real and full of love for you. And it's not about how much you read your Bible or the religious obligations you think you go through or always questioning your status before me. Wake up. A divine encounter with God always begins with this kind of shaking where you are no longer in control, but you find yourself before God in such an amazing way. And what you'll discover is it's so unique for you. Isaiah, what he saw, it's weird. I mean, it's like Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. And I can imagine Isaiah trying to explain this to somebody else, and they wouldn't get it. When you have a divine encounter with God, He is so specific to you, your personality, your needs, that you will explain it to a friend of yours, but you'll know as you're explaining it, they don't really get it. They don't fully get it, and that's okay, because it's so uniquely for you, but it begins with this prayer, God, I want a divine encounter with you. This is what Isaiah prays. Now, picture what happens. He walks into the temple, and as he's walking into the temple, he sees the angels that are there, The first thing he thinks about is, whoa, he becomes aware of his brokenness, his need. He sees one of the angels pick up a red fiery coal. In the Old Testament, fire always symbolizes the judgment of God. And all of a sudden, this angel starts to fly at Isaiah. And you can imagine Isaiah's backing up. He's thinking about his sin, his brokenness. Here comes the fire judgment of God. Isaiah's thinking, I'm a goner. All he can think about is judgment, failure. All God is thinking about is grace and healing and restoration. And it's a picture 
of the answer of our prayer. God, I want a divine encounter with you. Because when you begin to pray that prayer, you become suddenly aware of your brokenness. But when you're aware of your brokenness, that's actually the beginning of an act of God's grace. Because you will never seek out a redeemer until you are fully aware of your brokenness. Jesus could be a life coach, but not a savior. And we have this picture of Isaiah going, I'm so broken. And God going, that's okay. I'm here to heal you. Where do you feel broken? And sometimes that brokenness, that failure, it actually hesitates us from saying the prayer, God, I want a divine encounter with you because we feel so unworthy of that kind of prayer and we're missing out on the very purpose of why God wants a divine encounter with us. If we say that prayer, we realize, yes, I will come to him in my brokenness because until I really acknowledge and see that, I'll never see a redeemer. I'll never have the experience of a savior. I know it may be hard for you to believe, but years ago, I spoke at a youth camp. There's like 300 teenagers, right? Me and 300 teenagers, what a trip. Um, three nights, every night I'd give an altar call. And every night there'd be kids at the altar giving their life to Christ. But the first night I saw a, maybe a 15-year-old boy, and he's sitting halfway back on the aisle with his hands folded. It's kind of this stern look on his face. So I went back there to him, and I said, would you like to come forward and give your life to Christ? And he looked at me and he goes, I don't need to go forward to give my life to Christ. I can give my life to Christ right here in this chair. I said, no, that's actually wrong. You have to go forward. And he was kind of shocked. No, no, I know the Bible. I can give it right here. I said, no, no, you can't. You got to go forward. And the conversation ended. Second night, the same thing happened. I gave an altar call. Kids come forward. He's back there again. Stern look. I walked back to him. I said, are you sure you don't want to come forward? Give your life to Christ. Find freedom and joy. He goes, I know the Bible. I can give my life to Jesus sitting right here in this chair. I said, you're wrong. I'm sorry, but you got to go forward. Conversation ends. Third and final night, kids are coming forward to give their life to Christ. I look back there, but he's not stern anymore. Now he has his face in his hands. Looks like he's crying. So I walk up to him. And before I can say anything, he goes, Joel, Joel, I'm ready to go forward and give my life to Christ. And I said, no, no, that's okay. You can do it right here in chair. He needed to discover his brokenness if he was ever really going to discover Jesus. And when we have this prayer that says, God, I want a divine encounter with you, the starting point is to be aware of our brokenness so that we can then receive this healing. You will never want a divine encounter. You'll never say that prayer if you have to qualify yourself before you save that prayer. Nobody came to Jesus in strength. It is the very fact that you need a divine encounter that leads you to say this prayer. It is the very fact that we're broken that allows us to say this prayer. And you see this picture. There's a temple and they're shaking. There's darkness. It's a picture of Christ. Because when he died, there was shaking and there was darkness and there was a temple and a veil was ripped in half because God is teaching us that his response to our brokenness and sin is not judgment, it's Jesus. And right now, there are many of us who hear, and we can fully acknowledge, I got this issue going on in my life. I got this fear. I've got this doubt. I've got this sin. And if you're willing to say the courageous prayer, God, I want a divine encounter with you, you'll discover that God's response to you, like Isaiah, 
It's not judgment. It's Jesus. Because Isaiah says, my lips are ruined. We don't quite know what his sin was. Maybe he lied. Maybe he gossiped. Maybe when the king was going off the rails, he just stayed silent. Whatever it was, Isaiah is very honest about the fact that something to do with his words has caused him to dishonor and not glorify God. Isaiah knows what we experience at times. You get into this cycle. You ever done this? You make a promise to God. God, I will behave in this way. But the promise only comes out of your own volition. And you break that promise, you fail. And failure leads to shame and guilt. And shame and guilt leads to hiddenness, just like Adam and Eve. And in that hiddenness, you make another promise to God. No, no, this time, this time I won't get angry. This time I won't go there. But that promise is made out of your own volition, so there's greater failure and more shame and more guilt and more hiddenness. And you find yourself living in this cycle. And you can't break out of that kind of cycle. And the only thing you can do is say, God, I need a divine encounter with you so that you can heal me in this. Isaiah, he had a near-death experience. But what God wants to teach Isaiah and us is God had a real full-death experience. So you and I could be free. I'm walking down the city of L.A. I'm on the sidewalk, and this huge city bus comes flying past. I got hit by the shadow of the bus. Do you know there's a difference between being hit by the shadow of the bus and being hit by the bus? <laughs> Jesus got hit by the bus. We get hit by the shadow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And there are some of you who are here today and there is a brokenness that is inside of you. And you recognize it. But there's a hesitation for this prayer of a divine encounter because of that. And God is saying, no, it is actually because of that that I want to, you to give this prayer. So you will discover me. And notice where God heals Isaiah. The angel takes the coal and touches Isaiah at the very point of his sin and brokenness on his lips. At the very point of your need is where God will come and touch you. Some of you may say, Joel, it's not my lips. That's not where my brokenness is. It's my mind. I go to bed every night full of fear. I wake up and the fear is still there. These thoughts of fear, they just consume me. And I know I read my Bible and it says, fear not. That's the familiar. But I need something new. And I assure you, if you begin this prayer, God, I need a divine encounter with you. In his own way, God will come and he will touch, not your lips, but he'll touch your mind and there will be freedom and faith and victory. Some of you may say, it's not my mind, it's my heart. My heart is just so full of anger. I'm just angry at people. And I can't get over this anger. I look at society around me and it makes me angry. And I know I'm supposed to love the world, but I'm just angry. Yeah. And if you have this prayer, God, I want a divine encounter. God will come to you and he will touch your heart and he will melt your heart and you will discover a love coming up out of you that you never even knew existed. Wow. 
And you know it is not me conjuring up. It's actually God's love just flowing through me. But it begins with this prayer. I need a divine encounter. I am not in control, God. Come and help me. Some of you, you may say, it's not my mind or my heart. It's my soul. Every time I look in the mirror, all I think of is shame. And I can't get past that. And I look at other people around me and how much they are flourishing in their faith. But wow. All I can think about is what I'm not and how good I'm not doing. And you're tempted to have the same thought Isaiah had, which is God must judge me. At the very least, I will stay away. But if you will have the courage and the faith to say, God, I want a divine encounter with you. God will touch your soul. And you will discover how beautiful he sees you. It'll blow you away because you will discover he sees you in a way completely. Then you see yourself. This divine encounter. Isaiah never expected anything like this whatsoever. He never expected that he would feel so out of control. He never expected that it would be an encounter of healing and grace and victory and liberty, not an encounter of judgment. God does not come to Isaiah and say, Isaiah, shape up, do better next time. He says, let me heal you. Let me touch you. Let me set you free. Because Jesus redeems us, not through religion, but through love. Imagine this story. There's a, a bride and a groom, and it's their wedding day, and they're at the church getting married, and everybody's there, and they're celebrating this great union, and it's fantastic, and everybody's happy. It's a great, joyous time. There's a celebration afterwards. You know, they're dancing and just having a lot of fun. And then everybody goes home. They've celebrated this union of this man and this woman. And then the bride and the groom, they go down to a hotel, and they go to the bridal suite, you know, and they're both a little anxious, a little nervous. They go up to the bridal suite, and then the bride says to the groom, just excuse me a minute, I got to go down to the lobby and get a few things. And the groom thinks it's a little strange, but that's okay. So the bride goes down to the lobby, and as she comes out of the elevator, she notices in the corner of the lobby a dark lobby bar. And for some reason, she's drawn to it. And she walks into the lobby bar. Sitting at the bar is an empty stool next to a man. And this bride with her groom upstairs in the bridal suite, sits next to this man. And they start a conversation. And unbelievably, in just a few minutes, the bride with her groom upstairs and this man, who seems like a complete stranger, are seen walking out of the hotel, arm in arm, into the dark of the night. And if that groom is our friend or our family member and he calls us up and says, you, you, you won't believe what just happened. All of us would have the same response. Good riddance. Get an annulment. Thank God you found out earlier rather than later. You are so much better without her. Every one of us would have said that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Up in the bridal suite, he puts on his jacket, he goes down the elevator, and he walks out into the dark of the night for one reason, to get you back, to chase you down, because he loves you that much. He is the one who desires to have this divine encounter with you. 
When Isaiah had this encounter, he discovered fully and completely God's heart. Song of Solomon puts it this way in chapter 4 and 9. This is God speaking to you. You have stolen my heart. With just one glance from you, you have completely stolen my heart. When you have this divine encounter, believe it or not, God kind of plays a trick on us. We think, I'm going to have a divine encounter. I'm going to find out everything that's wrong with me, and I'm going to get instructions how I can make myself better. But when you have a divine encounter, what you discover is God's heart for you. The fact that you have stolen his heart. My wife and I have been married for 35 years this year, which is pretty amazing. 35 years we've been married. And when we were first friends, not even dating, I just knew there's no way this lady will ever, ever marry me. Because she's beautiful, she's intelligent, and I mean, I got nothing to work with here, right? So <laughs> there's just no way. And we were really good friends for like a year or two years. And then one evening she says, Joel, I got to talk to you. And we sit down and she begins to express her heart for me. I'll never forget that moment. She told me how much she loved me. She told me things about myself that I didn't believe for myself and I'd never heard from anybody else. She told me that she didn't want to spend a day of her life without me. And the moment I discovered her heart for me, it was a game changer. I went, yes. <laughs> when you have the prayer of God, give me a divine encounter. All God wants to do is let you discover his heart for you. Where you'll go, yes. Now we would think that would be a great story, wouldn't it? Here I am, life doesn't make sense, I know I'm broken, things are upside down, the familiar in my Christianity doesn't work, I want a divine encounter, I come into the presence of God, and he heals me and he restores me, and we go, ah, that's a great picture, but the story doesn't end there. Isaiah says this is one other aspect to this, because God asks this question, who? Who am I going to send? And Isaiah, in a matter of just a few verses, goes from woe am I to here am I. He has no idea what God's going to ask him to do. It doesn't matter. Because this part of the story gives us an insight into how much Isaiah has been transformed, that this is about his identity, not his task. It's like he's saying, God, I'm in. I am fully 110% in. If I have all of your heart, you got all of my heart. Imagine walking through a forest and you come to a fork in the road and there's this really wide, wide path and a really, really narrow path. And you have to decide which way am I going to go. The wide path, a lot of people on it, very easy. But you know, it's not really the right way. You look at the narrow path and it seems really hard, really rugged. And Jesus is standing on that narrow path. And you're going back and forth, and you can't decide. And you look, and you're, ah, I wish there was a middle path. You know, one that's not too easy, but one that's not too hard. If there was just a middle path. And Jesus hears you thinking. And he says to you, Joel, there is no middle path. But you think to yourself, yeah, but maybe one could be built. And we spend a serious portion of our life trying to build a middle path. We're smart enough to know the big path's not good, but here's what we don't know. We think the little path is actually really hard, and it's not. Jesus is on that path. I'll explain to you what that looks like. 
Some of you say, I need this divine encounter because right now there are people in my life that I just really, I, I don't like them at all. I don't want to forgive them. I can't forgive them. The Bible says I should forgive, but I don't want to forgive them. But if you have this divine encounter and you discover the grace of God in your life and you're willing to take a step into that, that narrow path, which means I'm willing to call that person up who I can't stand and meet him for a coffee. And you sit down with them for a coffee and all of a sudden something changes inside of you. You're going, what's going on? They can't tell because it's all inside of you, but inside of you, you're discovering something. That hatred you have for them, it seems to be gone. And you start a conversation and you find yourself forgiving them and you're not even faking it. You're just like real. You're genuinely forgiving them. You're going, why am I forgiving this person? I thought I hated them. And what you are experiencing is a divine encounter with God where his spirit in you is transforming you so that you have the grace of God and the love of God flowing through you beyond your volition and your will to forgive somebody. You forgive them, but God's forgiving them through you. That's the narrow path. Because the narrow path is not, oh, now i got to really do my stuff. No, the narrow path is I've got to be with Jesus. And trust his power flowing through me. If I do that, then I will discover so much of him. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what issue you have. Whether it's outside of you or whether it's in you. I don't know where your brokenness is or just questions that have led to confusion. But I imagine there are many of us that were like Isaiah when King Uzziah died. And God wants us to have this prayer. I need a divine encounter with you, God. Because the familiar, as grateful as I am for it, is just not cutting it. Just going through the motions of my Christianity, I need something new. I need something more. And if you will have that prayer, you can have this incredible confidence that you are praying in line with God's will. This prayer, this experience, it changed Isaiah forever. In Isaiah 26, 9, it says, My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Here's the beauty of it. That act of prayer, that act of prayer actually initiates, gets it going right there. David wrote this in Psalm 69, verse 32. You who seek God, your heart shall live. Just the act of seeking God, just the act of the prayer, your heart shall live. And I want to give us just a minute or two this morning in response to the Lord's word to begin that act of prayer. It is my hope that tomorrow morning when you wake up, this will be the prayer on your lips. God, I need a divine encounter with you. I know I am praying in line with your will and your desire. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand to their feet. Pastor Jody's going to come up here in just a minute. But take a moment right now, alone, privately, personally, with the Lord. He's present. He knows the pain. He knows the brokenness. He knows the fears and he knows the hardship. 
He knows the struggles. He gets it. More importantly, he gets you. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, in your own words, just whisper that prayer. If you're not ready to, that's okay. Because it's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, I won't be in control anymore. I'm going to let you take over. Shake me. Wake me up. It's a prayer of expectation that his healing, his restoration, his faith. You'll experience that. You'll experience him. And as you say that prayer and have that encounter, the most glorious thing is going to take place. You're going to go from woe am I to here am I. And you're going to do it with joy and enthusiasm and this God sense of adventure. Because your faith will no longer be about building a middle path. It'll be about doing life with Jesus every day. I'm going to be quiet now just for a moment. You take a moment. Talk to Jesus and let him talk to you.